watching us by live stream, we want to tell you how honored we are to have you this morning. We believe God's got something very special for all of you here, and He's got something very special for all of you that are watching at home. And so we're doing a series on, um, on becoming. And so the world forces you into this mold, and we have a choice to be. To be or not to be, right? And so we want to be what Jesus wants us to be. And one of the things that he wants us to be is to be confident. So over the last few weeks, we've been talking about being faithful. We've been talking about being hopeful and all of these different things. And today we're going to talk about being confident or excuse me, not being confident, being, being encouraged. I'm in the wrong section of my notes. So just bear with me. That's right. It happens. What am I doing? My bad. So please pause for this commercial announcement. Be, I'm being, be, be confident that I'm going to find the right, the right notes I have here. Yeah, be confident. And now my... Uh, be encouraged. There it is. Now be confident. I need to be encouraged. I'm so encouraged that I found my notes. Is that crazy? That's amazing. So we want to talk about being encouraged. Hallelujah. So where is it? You need encouragement, right? You need encouragement. This word encouraged, where we get the word encouragement from, is actually a French word, encourage, right? So it means to put courage within you. So it means to encourage. All of us need to be encouraged. Anybody know who John Wooden is? Any sports fans out there? John Wooden, right? Yeah, UCLA. Ten-time national championship basketball coach. He was the one that came up with the whole, uh, if you ever watch basketball and when the guy makes a pass and they point at each other, right? So if a guy, he would tell the team, if somebody makes a good pass to you and sets you up on a play, you're to acknowledge him. You're to point at him. And they would ask, they said, coach, how do I know he's going to be looking? And John Wooden said, he will always be looking. And do you know why? Because we all need encouragement. We all need encouragement. Every single person needs encouragement. Somebody once said that encouragement is oxygen to the soul. It's what enables us to breathe. It's what enables us to, to come alive. And the Bible is actually not silent on this, uh, on this subject at all. There's actually two words uh, used in Greek for this word encouragement. The first one is parakaleo. And parakaleo, if you divide the word, para means to come alongside, and kaleo means to call out or to summon. And so what an encouragement is, is when something or someone comes alongside of you and begins to summon you out of your condition. You know, come on, get up. It's not that bad. You know, we can win. We can come back. That's an encouragement. And it's the Greek word parakaleo, to come alongside and to call out, to literally summon there's another one that's called uh, Tharsio, and this is a divine impartation of courage. So what we have access to as believers is we have access to each other, mutual encouragement one to the other. We also have access to encouragement through the Holy Spirit. And this is the Greek word Tharsio, and it means an impartation of courage. So if you need courage this morning and you ask the Holy Spirit, he's going to give you courage. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You ever have fear? You, ever, you just you don't know if I can face this, don't know if I can handle this, don't know if I can do this? And then you ask the Lord, I need courage to do this. And just courage comes upon you or courage rises within you. It's the word tharsio. It means to be brought upon or to be inborn. So this tharsio, this type of encouragement comes upon you or it rises within you. And that's the beautiful thing about being a believer 
is that we are to mutually encourage one another. Bible commands us to do this. This is another one of those things that's like an emphatic imperative. So we're to be constantly encouraging each other. We're to live in an atmosphere of encouragement. So the church should be charged with encouragement. We shouldn't be walking around all bummed out and all despair and all in despair. We shouldn't fake it, but we should be mutually encouraging one another all the time. That's something that it tells us to do. Uh, John chapter 16, verse 33. You losing me? I'm telling you, man, this, this is an encouraging message today. I have had onslaught all morning against my, uh, against this. Where's it? Where's the thing? Grab me one of those over there, would you? Live. Okay, check, check, check. Four second delay. Four second delay. Check, 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 check. Test, test, test. I have no audio. No sound. Test. Test, test. There it is. It'd be encouraged. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna overcome discouragement all morning here. Be encouraged. I'm telling you, spirit does not, the devil does not want you to be encouraged. He does not. I'm telling you. It's like, I was like, this is the weirdest thing. All morning long, it's just been like, what the heck? Be encouraged. So we have access to an encouragement. We're to be an encouraging people. We're to exhort one another. We're to encourage one another. We're not to be jealous of one another. We're to, when somebody, here's another thing. When somebody around you as a believer is, is, is successful, you should become encouraged. And do you know why? Because God is no respecter of persons. What he does for one, he'll do for another. So there should be nothing in our lives that provokes jealousy. There should be nothing in our lives that promotes this level of competition. Not competition in the, in the, in the name of sport, but competition where we, we have to be better than everyone. When one succeeds, all succeeds. That's what the scripture says. And one of the things that when we see God moving in someone's life, that should encourage us. That should make us motivated and we should be encouraged. And we should not be... Um, uh, reserved with our encouragement. We should exhort one another and be encouraged. Anybody like encouragement? Is there a person here that doesn't like encouragement? No, don't ever encourage me. I never want to hear encouragement ever. Is there anybody like that? I got it all figured out. No, that's not because we need it. And so we have, we we're to be encouraging one to the other. And we're to also have access. So not only are we encouraging one to the other, but God has made such a provision in, in this world for us through his spirit that he has given us an ability to receive an impartation of courage through his spirit. It's amazing. Jesus said in John sixteen thirty three says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Trouble with a capital T, right? Capital T and that rhymes with me, right? In this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart or be encouraged. This is the word tharsio. So Jesus says, in this world, you're going to have trouble, but courage can come upon you because I've overcome the world. Jesus isn't exhorting us and telling us, hey, don't worry, it's going to work out. He's made a provision in the spirit. He said, in this world, you're going to have trouble, but tharsio, be encouraged to access my courage, access my power, access what I've given to you. He's been, he's given it to us. So where does trouble come from? Trouble comes from within. Let's just go down the list. Bible tells it, talks, says it like this. If you want to get really scriptural, it says, uh, sin, the flesh and the, and the de- or the world, the flesh and the devil. That's how the Bible relates it. Yeah. So you have trouble within. So the first place, the first place that trouble comes is internally. You have trouble with yourselves. Anybody here have trouble with yourself? Right. You have trouble keeping control of you. Don't you? 
keeping control of your thoughts, keeping control of your emotions, keeping control of your behavior. We have trouble within. That's our biggest part. That's a big part of our trouble. For I know that is in my flesh, Paul says, that's in my old nature, there's nothing good. For what I want to do, I don't do. Can I get a witness? Right? The flesh is the part of you that has a mind of its own. You're like, I don't want to do that. And something's like, yes, you do. No, no, I really don't want to do that. You, you do. You do. Right? That's, that's that old nature. That's that part of you that has kind of a mind of its own. For what I want to do, I don't do. But the evil that is present in me or my old nature is pushing me towards what I don't want to practice. You have an old nature and you have a new nature. And again, this comes back to God's provision. God has made provision for you. This has got to be understood. Because what we teach is we often teach that, oh, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus, 100%. You are 100% brand new. But that doesn't mean you live out of the new nature all the time. It does not mean it. And so we think that we're new creations and that we have to externally manage ourselves all the time. You won't be able to do it. You cannot externally manage yourself. There's, you have no ability to do it. You have none. Anybody? Anybody want to confess how powerful they are in self-control, even though you're a new creation? Because just because you're a new creation, you have to access that new creation. You have to enter the spirit. You have to get in the spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to begin to move upon you and begin to rise within you or begin to shift you. And all of a sudden you're a different person. That's what worship does. Anybody know he's you're like, wow, I was really bummed out. And then I came here today and I'm like, wow, I'm feeling really better. I feel like a different person. That's what it means to be in the spirit. Christians are the only people that have access to two worlds. We have access to this world and we have access to his world. We have access to our old nature and we have access to our new nature. And guess what? The choice is yours. The choice is up to you. Listen, I'm with you. I live in this world. The thing I will to do, I do not do. I want to get in the spirit, but my flesh is like, no, you don't. You don't want to do that. You don't want to get in the spirit because your flesh fights to get in the spirit. Because when you're, when you're in the spirit, your flesh isn't ruling you. Your carnal mind, your natural mind doesn't want you to get in the spirit. Because when you get in the spirit, your natural mind isn't ruling you. Can I get a witness? And so you, you are 100% guaranteed that there's a, a large part of you that fights you to get into the spirit. There's a large part of you that resists you from being, going into the new nature. But yet, that's the very thing. The trouble within, Jesus has made provision for the trouble within. We are new nature. This is why Christians beat themselves up. I know you're, new, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. I know, but I can't pull it together. You need to discipline yourself more. You can't discipline yourself enough. I'm here to tell you, you can't do it. You can't do it. Jesus calls you to an impossible standard so that you would understand your limitations and you would understand his provision. The standard that he has set for you, even living as a believer, you're born again. I get it. You're saved. I get it. But the call to be a believer and to walk out this faith is impossible in your natural state. You cannot do it. You cannot. The level, the generosity and the love and all of the compassion that God puts upon us. Love your enemies. Good luck. Right? <laughs> do good to those that do evil to you. Do we want to talk? Can we testify? Right? Moms, dads, brothers, sisters, husbands, wives. <laughs> we need the new nature in order to actually manifest the things that God's doing. What I'm trying to show you is, is that you have trouble within, but God's made a provision for you. He's made a provision for you. It's not hard. 
You just have to do it. But yeah, and I also want to acknowledge the fact that you have a big part of you that fights you. So don't feel like you're alone. Oh, I'm such a loser. I don't want to get in the spirit. No, you're human. You don't want to get in the spirit because you're human. But when you get in the spirit, you're like, why was I not doing this sooner? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You step into the spirit and you begin, all of a sudden the anointing starts to flow and all of a sudden the love of God starts to come upon you. All of your problems lift off of you and you're like, what was my problem? I could have did this an hour ago. I could have did this three days ago, but I didn't do it. Your new nature is not automatic. You've got, to, you've got to step into it. So trouble, we need encouragement. And I'm encouraging you this morning to understand it and to stop beating yourself up. You can't do it if you try. You're not strong enough. You're not good looking enough. Your Instagram account isn't cool enough. You can't do it. You can't do it. You need the Holy Spirit. So be encouraged by that. Be encouraged by that. Let the burden be lifted off of you this morning. We like to beat people up with religion. We try to control people with external behavior. You, you know, you can't do it. Pastors, th- this is the thing. Like when we minister, even pastors, you have to have access to the spirit. I don't care how holy you think you are or how much word you think you know. You, you still can't do it. I could sit down and I can literally parse out my behavior and I can give myself scripture while I'm, while I'm doing it. You know, I can literally understand that like, okay, this is your emotions. You're being ruled by your emotions. This is, I mean, I can literally sit down and divide up my behavior and understand it from a biblical perspective. And if all I do is analyze that, nothing changes. And if all I try to do is discipline myself and discipline myself and discipline myself, I fail. The discipline is to get into the spirit. The discipline is to worship. The discipline is to praise. And that's why everything begins to fight against you. Because that's where your victory is. Your victory is in the spirit. There's trouble all around, right? The world. That's what the Bible uses. The world. It uses the word cosmos. It means system. Collective thinking. So the world has a collective thinking. There's a, a, a Borg mind that's going on in our world. A hive mind. It's a value system. The world's value system is division, dominance, and destruction. That's the culture. Everything is ego-driven. I only help you if there's something in it for me. That's literally it. That's our work environment. That's our world environment. That's business climates, everything. Everything is ego-driven. That's the value system of our world. That opposes us sometimes. The world celebrates the best looking. The world celebrates the youngest, the best looking, and the most talented. Right? Well, the question is, is then where does that leave 99.9% of the rest of us? Nowhere. The world has a value system that's based a lot on externals. God doesn't look at the external. He looks at the heart. God's not valuing you for how good looking you are. God's not valuing you for all of the material possessions you have or how smart you are. God, you know what he values? He values your heart. That's what he's looking at. And what he wants to know is, is your heart towards me? That's what he's looking at. Where is your heart, Kevin? Is your heart on you? Is your heart on your circumstance or is your heart on me? What drives your life? What's the motivation for your life? That's what the Lord values. The world has a value system. Here's the world, here's worldly counsel. Anybody know Job? I don't know if you ever heard the story of Job. Job had some problems. (laughs) This dude had some problems. He had problems all around. And so his friends come to him to just hang out with him. And his friends don't do him any favors. They start telling him, Job, you got a lot of problems, man. And, you know, you're the problem and you just keep screwing up and there's just all this stuff going on in your life. And, man, when are you going to pull it together? When are you going to read your Bible more? When are you going to do this? When are you going to do that? 
not get into the spirit, Job. Let the Holy Spirit talk to you. Let, him, let the motivation come from the spirit. You can read your Bible naturally or you can read your Bible supernaturally. Big difference. Job says this to his friends. I have heard all that you are telling me and you are miserable comforters. Miserable comforters. When you're going through something and you're discouraged, you don't need criticism. Do you know anybody, don't anybody with me? When you're going through something and everything's not happening and it's not going the way that you want, the last thing that you need is for somebody to come alongside you and start critiquing you. (laughs) Come on. We need encouragement. And Job says this, would you guys stop blowing hot air? (laughs) Why do you keep on talking? So we got to do, sometimes we got to shut off the TV when it's all it's doing is blowing hot air. Sometimes we got to get enough, we got to listen to things that uplift us and encourage us. We listen to things that keep talking to us, discouraging us and and just critical things. Why do you keep blowing hot air? That's a great question. And he goes to, then the next verse, he says this, if I was in your position, I could say the same thing to you. Or, or if you were sitting as I'm sitting, if you were down like me and you were discouraged like me, it would be easy for me to say the same thing to you. This is what Job is saying. I could take my, I could give you criticism and I could shake my head at you. That's the world's culture. Shaking your head at us. Well, she just can't get it together. No, this, I mean, it's always this superiority, this, this competition where, where it's, it's a dominance. I have to feel better than you. I have to look better than you. I have to exalt better than you. The, the kingdom is completely different. Your success is to enable my success. My success is to enable your success. Our success is to enable the world's success. That's how the kingdom works. The king, that's, that's the way, literally, how God's designed the kingdom. Mutual. One to the other. A beneficial kingdom. Not divisive. So I could say the same thing to you. If you were in my spot, man, I could come up to you. I could shake my head at you and go, you loser, pull it together. But if it, but if it were me and, I was, and you were where I am, I would encourage you. And I would try to take away your grief. Instead, you only cause me to suffer and I have to sit here and defend myself. Right? That's what happens when you're criticized. You're just constantly defending yourself. As if you're not dealing with enough. Life overwhelms you. Let's just be clear. Life overwhelms you. Life will very quickly overwhelm you. Very quickly. Relationships, job, finances, kids, family, responsibilities, all of that stuff. I got to get a haircut. Anybody stressed out sometimes when you got to get a haircut? You can't get a haircut for like three weeks? Yeah? Sherry's like, Kevin, you need a haircut. I'm like, I know. I know. I got to get a haircut. I need a haircut. So there's trouble outside, there's trouble inside, and there's trouble against you. We need to know where our troubles are coming from. I'm a big part of the problem. So my trouble's coming from within me. I need to get out of myself and get into the spirit. Trouble from without. All of this pressure, all this pressure from this world that I'm in. I need to shift worlds. I need to shift the voices that I'm listening to. Listen to encouraging voices. If you listen to something and it depresses you, find something else. Shift your company. If you got people around you and, and now they do is bring you down and criticize you and blow hot air at you, shift your company. Yeah, exactly. And I'll give you another one just to add to this. Shift your attitude towards others because that's what Job's actually telling us to do. is to shift our company but to sh- also shift our attitudes. Encourage each other. Right? 
Encourage each other. It's, it's going to pass. You know, this too shall pass. So the boat captain said to me one time, one thing I learned about storms, Kevin, is they always pass. They're going to pass. It's a storm. It's a hurricane. It's a tornado. I understand, but it's going to pass. Your best days are over. Your circumstances don't define you. I mean, find something hopeful and encouraging and exhort each other. Jesus doesn't love, Jesus loves you. God is for you. Even to the unbeliever. Can you imagine the exhortation? Because the unbeliever has no hope. They have no hope. When an unbeliever falls, we do not grieve as they who have no hope, the Bible says. And then it tells us to not fear sudden disaster that overtakes the wicked. Do you know why? Because sudden disaster will not destroy the righteous. Will not destroy God's people. But people that don't know Christ, all bets are off. And you've seen friends, family members, all of them overtaken by circumstances. And they have no hope. They have nowhere to turn. They have nothing to do. What if you looked at them and said, listen, God's for you. I don't feel like God's for you. I'm telling you God's for you. I'm telling you God can turn this around. I'm telling you if you look to Jesus, he's going to turn it around. Well, I don't want to look to Jesus. Well, then that's your problem. That's most of the world's problem. They want God to turn it around, but they don't want to do it on his terms. They want God to do it on their terms. It doesn't work that way. So you have trouble against you. Bible says this, be clear-minded, be awake and aware because you have an adversary, the devil, who walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. There are spiritual forces that are in opposition to you. Demonic power is in opposition to you. What is it in opposition? If you're born again, the devil has no power over me. Absolutely. But you've got to start enforcing your authority against him or he's got power over you. If you don't enforce your authority, you guys see all the looting going on? I don't know if they're looting in uh, Philadelphia or whatever. The cops are just standing there watching them take all the stuff out because they had orders to stand down. The cop has every authority to arrest those people, doesn't he? Right? Every, every, he is empowered with authority to stop that, yet they're not doing anything. They're standing there watching them loot. This is believers. Believers are empowered to, to stop the devil from raiding their life, yet we just kind of stand there and let them loot our houses and let them loot our lives and let them loot our finances and let them loot our families. We just watch it happen. Even though we're empowered to stop it, we don't. Either it's ignorance or it's an unwillingness to, it's, most of the time it's just ignorance. If you knew somebody was robbing your house, you'd do something about it. But most people don't know that the devil's robbing their house. And then they don't know that they have the power to stop it. The devil has no power over you. I mean, modern church talks as if the devil just vanished. He's just gone. There's a devil and he's real. He does nothing but by right. You have to invoke your rights against him. If you don't invoke your right against him, he invokes, I guarantee you, he's invoking his against yours. He is against you. Demonic opposition. He poses everything good. So the devil opposes your calling. Hey, I got a vision from God. That's how it works. I got a vision from God. 2021, I'm going to take off, man. I got this vision. This is what's going to happen. God has spoken to me. I know it. And then you step into it and it's just a whirlwind opposition. The devil will oppose your calling, Christian. The devil will oppose the purpose that's on your life, Christian. The devil will oppose the will of the Lord in the earth. The will of the Lord comes into the earth and the enemy opposes it. The kingdom suffers what? Right. And the violent what? That's right. What suffers violence? The Christian doesn't suffer violence. The king's dominion suffers violence. The inbreaking power of the dominion of God is what the enemy opposes. 
What does that look like? You start following Jesus. The inbreaking dominion of God in your life starts to happen. Boom, you got opposition. You start walking in your purpose. You start walking in your destiny. You start aligning yourself with what God says. Boom, you've got opposition. He didn't resist you before. Most Christians don't even believe there's a devil because they've never done anything. They've never moved in a kingdom way. Ever. Well, I don't believe there's a devil because you don't move in a kingdom way. Start moving into the dominion of God and you will see the opposition that's against you. Or if, they, if there is opposition, they never see it as what it is. Demonic opposition. Unbelievably unnatural. And the Bible says this, that your, the dominion on your life is, a, is being opposed. My will on your life is being opposed. You must violently take it by force. In other words, you're empowered to do it. You have the authority to do it. But it doesn't come through a word. Sometimes it does. The Bible uses the word wrestle. Wrestle. We don't wrestle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. But we're wrestling up close and personal, smelly, sweaty, rag on your head, knife in your teeth, that kind of back alley fight. That's what it is. If you want the purposes of God, you're going to have to put a rag on your head and a knife in your teeth and you're going to have to throw it down and say it ends here. It ends here. One of us isn't walking out of this alley, devil. And I guarantee you, one of us is going to walk out of this alley and it's going to be me. It's not going to be you. That's right. That's right. That's right. I got some witnesses in the room. We just let things happen. And then, then our well-meaning leaders will say, well, it's God's will. It was God's will for your business to fail. It was God's will for your marriage to fail. It was God's will. Who told you that? Your Bible doesn't say that. Dr. So-and-so told me that. Reverend Dr. So-and-so. I don't care what Reverend Dr. So-and-so told you. Your Bible doesn't say that. Jesus is truth. Anything and everything that is not congruent with what he says is a lie. Anything and everything that is not congruent with his nature and his word is a lie. I don't care who told you. I don't care how much you believe it. It's a lie. And we are to follow truth and not lie. We're called to be the head and not the tail above only and not beneath. We're called to be blessed in season and out. If we will operate according to the principles of God, the inheritance will manifest to us. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Your your inheritance will be given to you if you will walk in a heartfelt way towards the principles of God. He will deliver you. He will activate his promises. He will turn it all around. He will. He will. Thank you, Jesus. Can I get an amen? All right. Jesus has overcome the world. This is what he's saying. Devil walks around like a luring lion. So we have problems within, problems around us, and problems against us. But be encouraged. (laughs) Be encouraged. I've overcome the world. What does that mean? Jesus has overcome it. He is the answer for all of your problems. Dr. Phil's not your answer. Dr. Phil can help. But Dr. Phil's not the answer. Jesus Jesus is greater than Dr. Phil. He's the wonderful counselor. Oh, you're trying to tell me not to watch Dr. Phil? Watch Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil can help you. But Dr. Phil isn't the answer. Jesus is the answer. He has removed the power against you. Do you know this? I want you to get this one. All rights to defeat you have been removed. I got one guy. All rights to defeat you have been removed. All rights. You don't have the right to defeat you. Your circumstances don't have the right to defeat you. The devil has no right to defeat you. 
all rights that have been evoked against you. So people say, well, I keep defeating myself. And you know what the Bible says? This is how, this is how crazy this gospel is. God has set this system up in such a way that even if you screw it up, he's going to use your screw up to turn it around and work it for your good. You have no right to defeat you. Is that crazy? I'm trying to defeat myself. And Jesus goes, Kevin, you have no right to defeat you. (laughs) What? You belong to me. You're in me. I'm in you. I don't lose. So therefore, you don't have any right to defeat you. You have no right. The only way the believer gets defeated is when they quit. That's why the exerted pressure from outside and the exerted pressure from the culture is to quit and the exerted pressure from the devil is to quit. That's the pressure. Because the only way the believer loses is when they quit. That's it. You have to fight for your inheritance. You have to fight for what is rightfully yours. You have to stand up and you have to fight for it. And I tell people this. Jesus isn't going to work any harder than you. And I had some pastor email me and go, Jesus isn't working at all. The work's already done. I'm like, duh. Is that what you think I'm saying? Of course the work's done. But if you want purpose and you want destiny, you're going to have to fight for it. It's true. It's mirrored in the Old Testament. The children of Israel came out by an outstretched arm. God delivered them from the Egyptians, did he not? Did they do anything to deliver themselves other than cut the lamb, put the blood on the door, eat the lamb, and stand there with a stick in their hand waiting for the word go? Then God said go, and they left. They did nothing. God brought them out. They come up to the Red Sea. They do nothing. God splits the sea, brings them out. But then when he brings them into promise, what do they have to do? Different, they have to fight. They didn't have to fight to come out of the bondage, but they had to fight to inherit. Big difference. Big difference. Well, we don't need to do anything. You've got to fight for your inheritance. You have to know what is yours. I say to you that the heir, so long as they are a child, is no different than a slave, though they are masters of all, Galatians says. You're heirs. But so long as your children, immature and undeveloped, you're no different than slaves. Though you have been given an inheritance to be the masters of all. But because of your ignorance, because of your unbelief, and because of your unwillingness, you stand as a slave. Oh, that is, nobody's going to preach that in modern America. I will. Because it's what God wants. He tells his children. He tells his sons and daughters in the, in, in the uh, Old Testament. He says, is Israel a house slave? Did I call you to myself to be a home-born slave? Is that what you are? Have I ever told you that you're a home-born slave? That's what he asked them. He said, have I told you this? But then they're like, well, I don't know. And he's like, well, why do you keep acting like it? Why do you keep acting like I've ta- I've, you're, you're a house slave? Why do you keep acting like you're, I bore, you were born into slavery when you were born into freedom? You keep retreating when I'm calling you to go forward. Just a thought. We have to fight for our inheritance. We have to know what is ours. We have to hear the Lord and we have to pursue it. And we have to take no no for an answer. We don't take no for an answer. If God said you can have it, you can have it. You can have it. Old Testament's filled of stories where the children of Israel were plundered for no reason. Why do you think he wrote that? The Bible says the Old Testament is written to us as examples. It wasn't God's will that Israel was plundered. They were being plundered. Read Gideon. Standing in a wine press eating grain. He's in a place, he's in the wrong place, and doing something in the wrong place. He's eating grain in a wine press. He's completely out of position. Completely out of position. Completely out of position. (laughs) And the angel shows up and says, man of valor, 
didn't he? Why? Because that's how heaven saw him. Heaven isn't looking at his people going, look at those poor losers down there. I better go down there and do something. He shows up and he tells Gideon, rise up, Gideon. Rise up. Same thing with Joshua. Rise up. Over and over and over again. Rise up. We have to know what is ours. The rights to defeat you have been taken away. The only thing that can defeat you is is your willingness to quit. I want you to say this. I will not deny the trouble. But I will deny the trouble. It's right to defeat me. It's not about denying trouble. We don't deny the trouble. But we do deny the, the trouble's right to defeat us. The trouble has no right to defeat you unless you allow allow it. Unless you allow it. Are you going to agree with it? That's the point. He has to bring you into an agreement. This is always this. Again, we're going to come to a kingdom purpose here. Here's the kingdom purpose. Circumstances will come against you and call for you to agree. Opposition will come against you and will call for you to agree. You're going down. I guess I am. I guess I'm going down. It's calling for an agreement. God's word comes before you in a still small voice, in a quiet voice, in a promise, and is looking for an agreement. Will you agree with the promise or will you agree with the circumstances, the situations? Better yet, I've got one for you. Where's where our trouble come from? Will you agree with your own emotions or will you agree with what God's word says? Will you agree with your own thinking or will you agree with what God's word says? Will you agree with the circumstances around you And what they're telling you? Or will you agree with what God's word says? Will you agree with the devil? Or will you agree with what God's word says? The power and the transition point is in the agreement. What what are you going to agree with? Whose report will you believe? Where will you place your agreement? Where will you stand? You say, I've already stood. Then stand some more. You know that's what the Bible says? Stand and stand again. I've been standing for five years. Stand for five more. Stand and stand again. We teach this Burger King thing where we, we, God gives us a word and we go, amen. But there's a big gap oftentimes between amen and there it is. There's a gap. We have to wait for it. You have a right to expect victory. You have a right to deny that that thing has no right to defeat you. No right. I didn't say you wouldn't have to go through it, but I will tell you it cannot defeat you. What you go through has no right to defeat you. None. Be encouraged. You have a right to expect victory. 1 John 5, 4. Everyone that is born of God. Are anybody born again here? Are you any Christians? If you're not born again, we'll help you out with that. Any believers? Everyone that is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Faith. What's faith? Faith in what? Faith in what Jesus says. That's what faith is. Faith is demonstrated in in who he is, who he says you are. Faith is demonstrated in what he has said and what his promises are. That's what faith is. And faith is not just I believe it. Faith is I believe it so much I'm going to step into it. I believe it so much I'm going to do what the action requires. Promises have actions attached in case you didn't know that. Call upon the Lord and he will answer. What's the promise? He'll answer. What's the condition? Call upon him. God's not answering me. Have you called upon him? You must call upon the Lord and then he will answer. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found of you. That's the verse. What's the promise? I will be found of you when you search for me. What's the condition? With all your heart. Most Christians search in pretense. 
We're searching with our mind. We're just doing this little, this little religious action. There's no depth of relationship between your, beyond your seeking. You don't really believe he is who he says he is. Without faith, it's impossible. You must believe who he says he is. You must approach him as who he says he's your father. You're born again, born of the spirit. That's who you are. You're a son and daughter. You're not a beggar. You don't have to come on your knees. You don't have to come crawling. You don't have to come crying. There's no honor in that. Jesus is like, hey, the court's assembled. Here come my kids. And they all come in the room. Ah! Ah! Would that be a glory to your family? You got the whole family assembled for Thanksgiving. Where's your kids? Oh, I got like beautiful children. Let me bring them out. And they all come out. Ah, daddy. People are like, wow, you're doing an amazing job here, Kevin. Those kids look amazing. There's no honor in that. No glory in that. You don't have to come crying. You don't have to come crawling. You come standing up. You're a son. You're a daughter. Come boldly. That's what the Bible says. Come like you own the place. You're like, well, I don't want to freak God out. He's going to, you know what God does? I'm going to tell you exactly what he does. When you come before him boldly, he acknowledges you. He says, that's my son. When you come like a beggar and you come like a cripple and you come with old pathetic self, he doesn't know who you are. It's like, it looks like Kevin, but I'm not really sure that's who he is. He doesn't recognize us in that state or condition. We have to come boldly as we are, as he tells us to. You have a right to expect victory. This is what overcomes the world. Bible says the righteous cry out to the Lord and he hears. What's the, what's, the, what's, the pre, what's the precursor? Cry out to the Lord, the Lord will hear. What's his promise? I will deliver. Psalm 34, 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. God's saying, look, there's a lot of afflictions. I'm not ignorant to this fact. There's a lot of things going on, but I will deliver you. I will bring you out of it. This word deliver, it's important that we understand what the word deliver means so that we can actually understand what it is that God is doing or what he will do. The word deliver means to rescue, you know, like pulled out of a burning building or something like that. Wow. He just, he rescued me. It means to be pulled out. It also means to be preserved. How many people in coronavirus can say right now, God is preserving you. Other people have gone down, but God has sustained you. The circumstances all around your life are dictating something entirely different, but God is preserving you. He's rescuing you. That is a, that is an aspect of his deliverance. I know a lot of Christians that are actually prospering in this time. That are succeeding. When the world goes down, the church goes up. You have to refuse to participate in a recession. I refuse. I refuse to participate in the recession. Heaven's never been broke. I, I don't. Uh, my my life and my world is not bound to this one. It's bound to His. All blessing flows. Uh, praise God from whom all what? Blessings flow. Where does your blessing flow? Wall Street. Your business. Your intellect. Your super ability, your blessings flow from God. Many are the afflictions. He will deliver you. He will pull you out. He will preserve you. He will separate you. Hmm? He will separate you. Everybody else is going to go crashing down and he's, you're separated from it. That's what he did in Israel, with Israel and in, in Egypt. All of the plagues that came upon Egypt, they didn't come upon Goshen. The land of Goshen where God's people were, nothing happened there. Not one cattle died, the river didn't turn red, sky, nothing happened there. Nothing. Why? Because God preserved his people in the midst of calamity. God preserves his people in the midst of calamity. 
And then here's another one, spare you from harm. This is, and it, so when God says, I'm delivering you, he's like, I'm going to spare you from harm. You're going to go through this thing, but it's not going to harm you. Oh, come on. We have this idea that God just comes down and supernaturally snatches us out. What if you went through something and it didn't harm you? You will pass through the fire and it will not burn you. You will go through the waters and they shall not, what? Overtake you. You're going to go through the water, but it's not going to overtake you. You're going to go through this fire, but you're not going to be burned. You won't even smell like smoke. But you went through it. What if that was God's rescue? We have to understand what God is doing when he's delivering us. How many people can testify that you went through living hell, but you were spared any harm? I mean, it felt like your world was going to collapse when you were going through it. You didn't know how you were going to get through it. You didn't know how you were going to make it another day, but you made it through. Because God delivered you. That's part of his deliverance process. Sometimes he allows us to go through it. In order for him to show us who he is and who we are to him. This is who you are to me, Kevin. You're going to go through this fire, but it's not going to touch you. This is who you are. And I want you to know this. And I want the world to see it. And I want everyone to witness that what you went through or what you're going through will not harm you. Will not. In any way. Nothing, just what Jesus says. Nothing by any means shall harm you. Mark 16. Nothing by any means shall harm you. Nothing by any means shall harm you. You are extraordinary. The Christian is extraordinary in the earth. There's nobody like you. God doesn't promise the world nothing by any means will harm you, but he promises you. He promises you. This idea of being under pressure, man. We're under pressure. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. Hypomeno. It's the word patience. How we translate hypomeno into the word patience, I don't know. You know? Because the word hypomeno means move while under pain. That's the Greek word for patience that we translate in the Bible is the Greek word. So we use the word patience, and, but it's translated out of the Greek. And the Greek means hypomeno, and it means move while you're in pain. Follow God even if it hurts. Stay faithful even if it looks like you're going to die. Hypomeno. <laughs> Where do we get patience out of that word? I, I have no idea. You know? Well, pal, you, got, you just need to let patience have its perfect work. Just be patient. Just sit there and keep your Gregorian chants going and just stay faithful, twiddle your thumbs, and be patient because God's doing something. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying, move in pain, Kevin. Let the movement of pain have the perfect work in you. Ha ha. Now all of a sudden my eyes are open. Now you got my attention. I want you to move with me even though it hurts. I want you to do what I'm telling you to do even though you don't want to. Yeah, that work will have a perfect work. Patience, home. Jesus is coming. What are you doing, man? Why is this dude up? Why are you in a lotus position, man? What's up with you? Why are you in this trance state? I'm just waiting on the Lord. Hypomeno. Jesus will not allow you to be defeated by what troubles you. Be encouraged. Jesus will not allow you to be defeated by what troubles you. So true. He, will, he has made provision spiritually. He has made provision emotionally. And he will, make, he will make provision materially. We just sang it this morning. Way maker. Miracle worker. Promise keeper. Light in the darkness. My God what? That's right. That is, who, is, he, is he that or is he not? Is he who he says he is? Or is he not? 
He will not allow the circumstances that you go through to defeat you. He will not let you be defeated. Because he doesn't lose. He doesn't lose. He's never lost. The Bible says I, Christ is in us. But not only is Christ in us, the Bible says we are in him. He is in us and we are in him. He's never lost. That's right. Undefeated. He's never lost. And he never will. So how can you lose? You know, I'm going through something. I know you're going through it, but you won't lose. If you die as a Christian, you win. This is how crazy this stuff is. You, are, you, are, you have a victory that goes to the uttermost. To live as Christ, to die is what? Gain. Even if you die, say, this might kill me. Well, you win. You hit the jackpot, bro. He's <laughs> a way maker. The testing, no testing has overcome you except what is common to man. For God who is faithful will not allow you to be tested beyond what you're able to bear. But he will provide for you a way out. The word testing and temptation, it's the same word. It depends on your point of view. You can look at this and go, oh, I'm being tested. Oh, the temptation's on me. Oh, I'm being tempted. Or you can look at it and go, wow, this is a test. This is an opportunity to demonstrate faith. This is an opportunity for me to stand. My emotions are going crazy. The devil is attacking me. And my circumstances are screaming at me. This is a test. What choice? What will I choose? I'm going to choose to stand on the word of God. I'm going to choose to stand in the spirit of God. I'm going to choose to stand in faith if it kills me. That's what he's looking for. This word test, temptation, same word. It means to be pressed against on all levels. Ha <laughs> ha. You know when you're being tested? When you're pressed against on all levels. Emotionally. Circumstantially. And demonically. You're tested on all levels. It's a test. Deuteronomy. Well, God wouldn't do that. God's not doing it. He allows it. He allows it. Because he knows God has confidence. This isn't going to defeat you. This isn't going to hurt you. This will not harm you. You can go through this. You're going to come out of it better than you were before. Watch this one. Deuteronomy. He says he humbled them. He allowed them to hunger. So the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. And God says he humbled them and he allowed them to suffer hunger. Right? Which means he gave them no natural provision. He fed them with what? Manna. Right? He's fed them supernaturally. What if God, you were in a circumstance now, and God was not allowing you to have any natural provision? I know nobody likes it. Nobody likes this. This isn't the top five sermons of the year. This one isn't going to make the list. But what if you were going through something and God was intentionally not allowing you to have natural provision? What if your only provision was in the spirit? What if your only provision was in him? This is exactly what he says. He led them and gave them no natural provision in order that they would know that they do not live by bread alone. In order for them to understand that their provision as his sons and daughters is not of this world. But that hey, word, they live by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. We quote that verse. Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Yeah, well, why don't you quote the first part? God allows hunger in order to teach you that you don't live by bread alone. It's not that he's making them starve. He just was giving them no natural provision. Just an interesting thought. Why? Because God is trying to grow you up. He's trying to make you more than what you are. His work in your life is to build you in a level of character where nothing moves you. Nothing changes you. That's Paul at the end of his life. None of these things move me. 
Wouldn't you like to be, I, I, I long for the day where I could look at no, any circumstance and I could just look at it and go, none of these things move me. Nothing moves me. Nothing. Because Paul says what? I do not consider my life dear to myself. He didn't say this in the early part of his life. He said this when he was old. Because he had experienced God. He had walked with God. He said, Nothing, none of this stuff matters. The only thing that matters to me is that I may finish the race and that I may maintain faithfulness unto God. None of this stuff else matters. Nothing else matters. None of these things move me. What a word. Man, I'm like, man, I want to get there. This is moving me, Lord. I don't like it. Shouldn't move you, pastor. You're a pastor. You shouldn't be moved. I know that's how we portray ourselves. Most pastors are freaked out half the time. Just to let you know. I know, I know. Somebody's going to send me an email. I'm a pastor and I'm not freaked out. Oh, yeah? They are. Do you know why? Because they have to work out this faith just like you. We don't just teach it because we've, we've ascended. We teach it because God has brought bread for his children. Uh-huh. And the way that it's taught in a living way is when the pastor has actually experienced it. I can teach you this stuff in a living way because I live it. This isn't principle. This isn't a book. This is actuality. And so God brings provision for his children. And the pastor has to live it out too. Most of the time when I start teaching stuff like this, be encouraged, everything falls apart. Right? Like, man, you need to do a marriage series. I'm like, no, I don't. No, I don't. (laughs) We haven't done one in a few years. Every time I do a marriage series, boom. The house goes crazy. Oh, big boy's going to talk about loving his wife, is he? Let's see how it works. Get up there, big shot. Tell them how to love their wives. As Christ loved the church. Come on. God wants the experience. He wants it brought through my life in order that it would come through your life. He wants it brought through your life in order that it would come into the lives of other people. Christians are at different parts of the journey. Many of you have been through some very hard difficulties, some very serious situations. And God has overcome. You need to encourage those around you. Listen, I was way worse than you. Can anybody say that? You need to be encouraging to other people. If God did it for me, he'll do it for you. This isn't hopeless. God turned my kids around. If he turned my kids around, he's going to turn yours. God turned my life around. God turned my marriage around. God did this. There's hope. If he did it for me, he'll do it for you. This is a living faith. That's why when we learn from each other and we grow from each other, you went through it. It's what he told Peter. Peter, the devil has asked for you to sift you as wheat. Oh, that was a great day, right? <laughs> Happy day. Come here, Peter. I got I to talk to you. Listen, I just want to let you know something, right? Okay. So Satan has asked for you to sift you as wheat. And when you come around, Peter, which means what? After you've gone through this circumstance, there's a whole bunch of st- deals with rights. The enemy had a right, which I'm not going to get into. But he's going to sift you as wheat. And Peter says, and Jesus says to him, and you're going to go through it. And after you've gone through with it, anybody know what he says? Encourage. Strengthen your brothers. When you've gone through this, Peter, after you've gone through living hell, I want you to use your living hell and the victory that I give you to encourage other people who are going through living hell. And their living hell probably is going to be a lot less than your living hell. But you're, so that's why you're going to have confidence in order to tell them that God has done it for me. He'll do it for you. We live by faith. Brings them to the Red Sea. He brings them out of Egypt. He brings them up from the water and he brings them into promises. This is what God's doing in our lives. Bringing us out of our past, bringing us up out of our circumstances and bringing us into, into, into promise. That's his, that's his goal. We live by faith. It's not easy. 
Why don't you say it with me? Living by faith is not easy, but I can do it. That's right. It's not easy. The Bible calls it a fight. A fight. Live by faith. We're living by faith. Man, it's a fight of faith. I have to fight to keep my heart set upon the Lord. I have to fight to get in the spirit. I have to fight to do the things that God wants me to do. Anybody who tells you they don't, they're lying. Yeah, they may be in the spirit, so let's just take seven days out of the week. Okay, one day you're filled with the spirit and you're just glowing like Moses with the faith of God and the face of God. Right? You're able to do all the things that he wants you to do, no problem. But what happens on Wednesday? What happens on Thursday? What happens when everything blows up in your life and you're completely disoriented? You have to fight for faith. You have to fight for it. We should mutually encourage one another. Barnabas, mutually encourage. There should never be a despaired Christian, ever. You should never be down. If you're down and you're out and other people know it and that church isn't encouraging you, you're in the wrong place. If the people around you and your brothers and sisters are around you and they don't care about you enough, well, we just need to pray for Sister Susie. Pray for Sister Susie, but encourage Sister Susie. Exhort Sister Susie. Exhort one another daily. Daily. Encourage one another in your faith, the Bible says. We need to encourage one another. God's got you, Mitch. He's got you. I know it doesn't look that way, but God's got you. He's got provision for you. He's got purpose for you. He's got you. Barnabas is an interesting character. Almost done. I just want to share this. You know why? Because Paul was a harsh guy. So here's the story. Paul and Barnabas were going around the world bringing the gospel. Great thing. All of the disciples were doing that. Paul and Barnabas, because God sends them out as teams, he sends them out by twos. So Paul and Barnabas are traveling, and they have a young guy with them in his teens, probably 16 to 18 years old, Mark was. And they have John Mark with him. And so while they're traveling, and the road gets weary, and the road gets hard, John's have, Mark's having a hard time, and he wants to go home. Right? So Mark goes home. And then Paul basically told him he's useless. This kid's useless. I don't want anything to do with him. What a nice guy. I love Paul. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. But culturally and socially, Paul had some issues, right? He had some cultural issues. I mean, he knew the word of God, but he wasn't like a a friendly person to be around. It's like, that kid, he's no good. He can't pull it. He can't carry his water. He's useless. So the next missionary journey Paul and Barnabas are going on, Barnabas wants to take John Mark. And Paul says, no way. Absolutely not. I'm not taking him. And here's how we theologically do it. This is, I'm just going to give you the pastor presentation. Paul knew the difficulties of the missionary journey. And he knew that John Mark wasn't up to the task. And so in the preservation of the mission and the glorious gospel, Paul, in his divine wisdom, told John Mark to stay home. It didn't go down like that. That's not how it went down. The Bible says they had a heated argument and they divided. And Barnabas went off and took John Mark with him. And Paul took Silas. And somebody said, well, the gospel got multiple. You know, we got the book of Mark because somebody believed in Mark. Do you know that? If we got the book of Mark, the guy who wrote Mark, because somebody believed in Mark. Paul had written him off. Paul says he's useless. His kid can't carry water. He's making me look bad. I don't want to be around him. I don't want to have to care for him. Get rid of him. You're useless. Stay away. I want to go again. You're not going. You're useless. Stay here. Barnabas goes, he's not useless. You know what Barnabas was called? Barnabas was called the son of what? Anybody know that? Son of uh, encouragement. That's Barnabas. That's literally Barnabas's name. The son of encouragement. The one who exhorts. The one who tells you it's not over. 
The one who tells you your best is yet to come. The one who tells you that God doesn't give up on you. The one who tells you that God will not allow your circumstances to defeat you. The one that tells you that you can't defeat you, John Mark. You keep blowing it up, but God's got something good. And John Mark eventually went on missionary journeys with Barnabas. He was very good friends with Peter, and he wrote the Gospels of Peter. And he wrote the Gospels of Peter, and actually the Gospel of Mark is called the Memoirs of Peter. How did John Mark write it? He wrote it because of, it was, John Mark was wrote Mark because it was Peter's eyewitness account. And so both, been, did Peter fail? Okay. Peter failed, and you know Peter probably did? Peter goes, you know, John Mark, I know you quit on a missionary journey, and I know that's bad, but let me tell you how I failed. I publicly denied Jesus three times. They asked me if I knew him, and I cussed. I said, I don't know him, MF. That's what it says. He cussed. He used, he cursed when he denied Jesus. So, John Mark, if you think you failed, let me tell you my story. If God can use me, who denied him three times, he can use you. If God didn't give up on me, John Mark, he's not given up on you. And John Mark, we have a gospel because of that attitude. We have a gospel because of that level of encouragement. Yeah. I like to shine the light on Paul a little bit. I love Paul. I don't have no issues with Paul. But some of Paul's attitudes and actions are not congruent with God's heart all the time. God's heart was not to reject him. That's Paul. And we, we interpret every person's actions in the Bible as if it was God's will. That's not God's will. Where was God's will? Reconciliation, restoration, encouragement, building him up. What did, anybody know what Paul did at the, at the end of his life? At the end of his life, Paul's in prison. He's in chains. He's about to be executed. And who does he ask for? He asks for Mark. And do you know what he says? At the end of his life, he says, he is useful to me. Useful. Do you know why? Because Paul's arrogant, harsh attitude was wrong. Wrong. It was wrong. And God uses encouragement to take someone and bring them into a comeback. For every setback, Jesus has a comeback. Every setback, he's got a comeback. This is the house of God. This is what we are. This is who we are. We're not these religious, arrogant finger pointers telling people God's given up on you and all these other stupid things that we say. Well, my spirit will not always strive with man, Kevin. Isn't that what the Bible says? Yeah, the Bible also says 70 times 70 or 70 times 7. So if we're going to equate this, God's spirit is not a striving in, the, in that sense where God's not giving up on you because you, you can't pull it together. That's not the context of that verse at all. So even when people quote that, it's like completely out of the framework of what God is actually saying. And that's not his heart. And it does not congruent with his heart. God's the God of the comeback. He's the God of the encouragement. He's the God of the restoration. You failed. You know what he tells me? I failed. Here's me. I failed, Jesus. I screwed it up. And God's like, well, what did we learn, Kevin? What did we learn? First of all, he usually has to give me a couple of high karates and tell me to get up and stop crying. Stop crying. Read your Bible. He says that over and over again. Get on your feet. Stop crying. Stop bawling. Stop doing these things. Get up. Stand up in front of me. Wipe the tears off your face and speak to me directly. Talk to me. You want to you talk to me? Don't come like a sniveling reject. Stand on your feet. Lord, I failed. Okay, we failed. Right? So what do you want to say about that? I don't know what to do. I feel really down. Well, you shouldn't feel down. I wasted all of the provision you gave me. Okay. Did you learn anything? Yeah, I did. Here's more. 
Do you have any idea who he is? I wasted it all. I wasted it all. He's got more. He's got more. He'll give you more. You think he's poor? You think he's limited? Lord, I gave the talent you gave me and I squandered it. I'm such a loser. Did you learn anything? Yeah, I learned what not to do. Here, I'm going to give it to you again. Go again. In fact, I'll give you twice as much as you screwed up with last time. Here, take it. Go again. That's who, this, this is who he is. This is who he is. Your best days are ahead of you. It's not over. I want you to say this with me. It's not over until Jesus says it's over. And Jesus never says it's over until I win. Do you know that? He keeps going into overtime. Overtime. God calls overtime. Game's over. Uh, no, overtime. Game's over. Overtime. He calls overtime. Some of us are in quadruple 16,000th overtime. The game's going to keep going until you win. The game will keep going until you win. Some of you know what that's like. You don't quit until you win. You can lose all the time. We're going we're to play again. We're going to play again. We're going to play again. It's not over until you win. He turns mourning into dancing. We sing a song like that here. He raises the poor from the ashes. And he sets them with princes. He takes the poor... The weird, look, let's just be, let's just be honest. Let's look back on your life and see where you were. And if you have any idea who you are now, you are seated with princes. You are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. People are going to walk into the kingdom. They're going to see that they're royal. They're going to see that they're divine. They're going to see not divine sons and daughters of the living God. They're going to see who they really are. And they're going to hit themselves in the head and go, why didn't I know this when it was there? Well, I'm telling you now, you're seated with princes. He lifts the needy from the ashes. Whatever it is that's going on in your life, come before him as a son and come before him as a daughter. If you're born again, he, he will help you. He will help you. He will rescue you. He will deliver you. He will keep whatever you're going through from keeping you from harm. Be encouraged. Nothing by any means can harm you. Amazing. If you're watching by live stream, we're very honored that you watch by live stream. And I want to tell you, maybe you feel like you're down. Maybe you feel like you're out. Maybe you feel like you don't know what, what direction you're going to go. And if you're a Christian, I want you to know that there's hope. There's hope. Bible says, unto Jesus Christ, our hope. Our hope is in the Lord. God has something for you. Call upon him and he will answer you. If you don't know Jesus this morning and you feel like your life has just been a waste and you feel like your life is just down and you feel like you don't have any direction, I'm here to tell you that Jesus is the God of the turnaround. Every human being, our dysfunction is common to all. We all have a dysfunction and it's called sin. And Jesus is the one and only answer to that sin. And the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death or eternal separation. But the gift of God is life through Christ Jesus. And then it tells us how we get that life. It says if we will believe in our heart and we will confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and he's risen from the dead, we'll be saved. Saved. Renewed. Born again. Restored. All you have to do is pray. That's it. That's it. That's it. Open your heart. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. We're going to do it here together as a family and we want to pray with you online. And if that's you, just take a step of faith and go for it. So we'll pray. Pray with us. Say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior and I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. 
and I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, we choose to follow you. I choose to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we love you. God loves you. And we want you to hit us up in the message. Send us a DM. Tell us where you're watching from. We love you guys. We know we got people watching all over the place. And it's really exciting. And so we're very grateful and honored for that. And uh, we want to bless you in return. And we want to just give you one more blessing. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. And may the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may you forever live within his favor in peace. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a wonderful week.